Is evolution fact or theory? What is the relationship between the creation story in the Bible and end-time Bible prophecy? What are the weakest aspects of Darwinian evolutionary thought? And does it really make any difference whether a Christian believes in special creation or evolution? For the answer to these and other questions concerning the origin of life, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I have this week, once again, as my special guest, uh, Dr. Job Morton, who is the founder of Biblical Discipleship Ministries in Rockwall, Texas. Uh, Dr. Morton is an expert on the question of evolution versus creation. Dr. Morton, welcome back. It's good to be I back. I got the name yeah. of your ministry right, didn't it? Yes, okay, Discipleship Ministries. Well, we yes. appreciate you being back with us again this week. And uh, I also have as a special guest this week, Nathan Jones, who is our web minister. Nathan is the newest member of our staff here, and he's the one that uh, talks back and forth to people all over the world uh, through the uh, Internet. Uh, when you send in questions, he's the one that responds. Nathan, glad to have you with us. Oh, it's great to be here and great to be with someone like Dr. Martin who's so knowledgeable about well, this. Well, I subject. know you've been looking forward to this for a long time. For months, yes. <laughs> well, Dr. Mm-hmm. Martin, um, the issue of evolution versus creation is one that has raged throughout Christendom for the past 150 years at least, dividing many Christians against each other. And when you get right down to it, I want to ask you, is the debate worth it? Or to put it in other words, does it really matter whether you believe in evolution or creation? Well, yes, it does. And I think it comes down to who determines what is true, man or God. If you look at what's going on in the churches, uh, they won't take a position in this. Most churches, they just won't take a position on prophecy or on the creation issue. And what does that do? It leads to wishy-washy Christians. Because how do, how do you get off track, let's say, with prophecy? It's because you're off track back here in Genesis, and you say, well, this could just be symbolical or allegorical or it's just poetry. And so you spiritualize it. And you say, well, we don't know what the words mean exactly, but we think they mean this. Then you get over into prophecy, same thing. Well, we really don't know what this means. And so it's important, I think, because if, if the creation account is not true, and the Bible says Jesus is the Creator, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. So the Creator Himself has given us His Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word's with God. The Word was God. The, the Word is the Word of Jesus. If, if the Bible is not true in Genesis, if we can't trust it, then we can't trust Jesus to be the Creator. Because only the, the Redeemer, because only the Creator would have the right and the authority to be the Redeemer. So it all hinges on our view of... Genesis, the rest of the Bible. So you're really saying that uh, the integrity of the Bible is at stake here. It is. It's the authority and integrity of the Bible. That's exactly what it is. If we can take it literally, let's take it literally. Let's not just try and decide, okay, man will determine determine what's true here. Reminds me of Dr. Uh, Criswell, who used to be the uh, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas. He made the comment one time that most people believe the Bible is inspired only in those areas where they agree with it. That's that's, that's what's going on right here, I think, yes. On these these two, yes. Well, I I think it's it's crucial. I, I, I must say that when 
when I was growing up in the church, I didn't have any teaching about this, none at all. It was just totally ignored. Mm-hmm. And so when I uh, went to college and took biology and all that, I decided, well, you know, these guys must know what they're talking about. And and uh, so I became a, a theistic evolutionist. Okay. I just said, well, it, it, it all evolved, but God was in control of it. God... And then I discovered there were some real problems with theistic evolution. How about telling us what are some of those problems? Well, first of all, who's going to decide what's true? We say we're a Christian. Are we going to believe what the Bible says? Now, if you're a theistic evolution uh, person, that means you believe what evolution says about things. And and what's the problem there? Well, then you would say... Uh, the Big Bang happened, and then we got first-generation stars, and then second-generation stars, and then millions of years later you get planet Earth. But God says he put planet Earth here first. So what was first, planet Earth or the stars? Uh, God says that he made um, birds on the fifth day, reptiles on the sixth day. Evolution says, no, reptiles came first, and then the birds. Okay? God says, by Adam's sin came death. A theistic evolutionist would say, point. yeah, there's, there's been death, all kinds of death, coming all the way up to Adam. And, and so that would mean that the, the sacrifice that God had to make when Adam sinned, it would have no significance at all. So there are all these things that are just the reverse of what they need to be if you can say, I can have evolution and I can have the Bible. Evolution says billions of years. All you can get from the Bible is about 6,000 years. When science first began to really challenge uh, the Christian view, worldview, uh, some Christians responded immediately with something they thought solved the problem called the gap theory. Yes. A gap theory meaning there's a big gap in the, in the Genesis account yes. uh, that is not accounted for there, and that's the billions and billions of years. What about the gap theory? Yes. Well, uh, we got the same problem. When we say there's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1 verse 2, and that's where they put the gap. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and then gap, and the earth was... Well, what do we have? That means we still have a pre-Adamic race of people. That means people are living and dying before God says, here comes death. Yeah, caveman idea. All right. And so they they change the words, like Genesis chapter 1, and the earth was without form, formless and void. They say it became that way. And they, so they change the normal translation of the verb. Uh, and so, what, and they're saying that this earth covered with water is like a flood judgment. Well, the Bible never talks about two flood judgments. It only talks about one flood judgment, the, the flood judgment of the days of Noah. And so there's, they're, they're putting something in there because of the influence of evolutionary thinking and the billions of years. And they've decided, you know what, we've got to get that in there somehow. Uh, we'll just put billions of years right here between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Uh, they don't have to do that. You know, in my own uh, migration on this point, I, I think the thing where I finally made the change was when I decided that the integrity of God's Word was on the, on the line mm-hmm. and that uh, His Word had to be held up. And uh, the other thing that helped me to make the leap uh, from one to the other was a point you make in your book that is so very important to me, and that is the point that special creation always carries with it the image of time, uh, the illusion of time. I, I mean, if, if, if I go and I create a tree and I bring you out and say, look, I just created this tree, you'd say, no, the tree's 30 years old. It yeah. always carries the image of this, right? Yes, well, if we're going to believe what, how the Bible describes it, yes. when he makes Adam on the day six, is he a little baby? 
No, he's a full-grown man, just like that. Let, let's say Michael the Archangel was walking around in the garden, comes up to Adam, well, hello, my name's Michael. Adam, I'm making this up, of course. Uh, my name's Adam. Well, Adam, how old are you? Ten seconds. God just made me ten seconds ago. Uh, he puts Adam to sleep, takes out a rib, and makes Eve. Adam wakes up, sees Eve. Whoa, man, which is woman. And he says, uh, Eve, you're beautiful. How old are you? I'm 15 seconds old, Adam. God just made me just like I am. Too young to date. Too young to date. Yeah, but, but I'm old enough now. But anyway, 10 seconds ago. Uh, so we have to believe God will create fully mature systems. They, they don't look old. They, I mean, they look old, but they are not old in that sense. Yes. And then you look at his miracles. What did the creator do? The Lord Jesus. First miracle, water into wine. Well, what was significant about that? Well, John chapter 2, he put the water, turns it into wine. They take it to the governor of the feast, and where'd this come from? And Well, that's uh, it was water just a few seconds ago, and now here we have wine. And uh, well, the wine tasted like aged wine. Now, I don't know how Jesus made it, but the fact is, he took water and turned it into something. How many water pots? Six. Yes. How many days in the creation week? Six. Six. So what, what's he doing here? He said, look, Same I'm way the, when he fed the 5,000. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. He didn't say, come on, we're baking bread, guys. Let, let's get the ovens out here. He's pu- fish? And dried fish. It's yeah. dried fish he's pulling out of that basket. Yes. That's right. well, when they're going to come and get Jesus at the end of his life, Peter grabs a sword, aims to chop the fellow's head off. I think the fellow ducked. He gets his ear. Jesus picks it up, puts it back on. No scabs, no stitches, no healing, no time. So if we're going to believe the Genesis account as it's written, we have to believe we have a God. He doesn't need time. He's above time. He created time. He can do things that look like they need time. They don't need time. Yes. Well, Dr. Martin, we've got a lot more questions that we want to ask you, Mm -hmm. but uh, we're going to pause here for just a moment to tell folks how they can get a copy of your wonderful book. The book, The Evolution of a Creationist, is a layman's guide to the conflict between the Bible and evolutionary theory. Author Dr. Job Martin shares that while on the faculty of Baylor College of Dentistry, he was challenged by his students to study the little-known assumptions of the theory of evolution. This book chronicles his personal journey from traditional evolutionist to a creationist. Dr. Martin's scientific and medical training was revolutionized as he studied animals that challenged the scientific assumptions of his education. The Evolution of a Creationist takes a look at animals that break all the evolutionary rules. Dr. Martin presents 10 marvels of God's creation. The bombardier beetle, the incubator bird, the garden spider, the gecko lizard, the giraffe, the anglerfish, the beaver, the chicken egg, the chuckwalla lizard, and the woodpecker. It examines the many problems with evolutionary theory and shows why the Bible is an excellent book of science. This book can be yours for a gift of $15 or more. Shipping is free of charge. To get a copy, visit lamblion.com and look for product number P72. Dr. Martin, I had a question for you. Really, it's more of I want your take on this. Uh, A few years back, the Institute of Creation Research sent out a poll to 649 Christian colleges trying to find out if they teach the literal six-day creation. Now, of the results that came back, only 224 responded. And out of those 224, only 188 said that they teach the literal six days creation. And these are Christian colleges and universities. What is your thoughts on that? Well, um, actually, I'd like to talk to the 188. (laughs) Because uh, in our experience, a lot of these colleges, because they know who their donors are, these Christian colleges, they will publish, we teach that, but yet you get to the professors that are in the classroom, and they don't teach that. 
And we've had more, more flack on Christian colleges than we do on the secular colleges hmm. because of that very thing. I think what's going on is these um, uh, Christian institutions, they want to be academically acceptable. And so once you say you are young earth, a biblical creationist, you're wiped out academically in the, in the secular uh, academic circles. And so they, it's, it's pride. I think it's pride. And the pride has crept into the church, and we want the world to think we're smart. But they think we're stupid if we say it's a young earth. And so I think that's part of it. They love the approval of men and the approval of God. Well, let me uh, uh, ask you another question, uh, Dr. Martin, and that is uh, we often hear it just over and over like a broken record that um, evolution is a proven fact and is no longer a theory. What about it? hear that all the time. And then you have to say, well, okay, what kind of evolution are you talking about? Because there's all kinds of evolution. All right, explain that. Well, for instance, in the big categories, there's what's called microevolution, and then there's macroevolution. Micro, that's little changes in things, but there's still a cow. You don't see horsey cows. You don't see chicky ducks. There's, there's changes. There's different kinds of cows, different kinds of ducks. But they, the ducks will never change into chickens, and the cows won't change into horses. So microevolution is more adaptation. It's not really evolution at all, but that's mm-hmm. what they call it. Mm-hmm. Because they want to be able to say, look at these little changes here. If those little changes keep adding up, we can actually get a big change, and that horse will become a cow or whatever. But the macroevolution... Uh, birds become reptiles, or reptiles become birds. No, there's no evidence for that. And that's what they call the transitional forms, which is a code name for missing link. When I was in college, they called the missing links missing links because they were missing. And then they decided, wait a minute, that sounds too missing. Let's call them a transitional form. They don't sound as missing. They're still missing. So what about the archaeopteryx? Isn't that supposed to be a transitional bird Reptile creature? You know about these things. Yeah. Archaeopteryx is a bird. It's been, it's been categorized as a bird by the evolutionary community. So it has feathers and it's a bird. Of course, all we have are little fossils of it. And, uh, so what, three or so discovered yeah, not, so far? Not many, yes. And, uh, but, but I think what, what goes on here is they, they pick something and they need something in here. They need something, let's say, between a reptile and a bird. But if you really think about it, reptiles, what are they? They're cold-blooded, dense bone for the most part, uh, scales, teeth. What's a, what's a bird? It's warm-blooded, <laughs> feathers, uh, beaks, and uh, what's the other thing here? Uh, hollow bones. Hollow bones yeah. So is there such a thing as a partially dense-boned, tooth-beak, <laughs> lukewarm-blooded, uh, feathery, scaly reptile bird? No, but see, that's, that's what they talk about. Well, yeah. you just mentioned the fossil record, and, and I always hear evolutionists saying, well, you know, we have the fossil record. Now, when Darwin wrote, he recognized that the fossil record did not prove his theory. But he, he said, as we develop and get more into it, it will prove it. Yes. Has it proved it? Well, no. That's why you have people like Stephen Gould from Harvard. That he's passed away now. But he went away from Darwinian slow, gradual evolution yeah. to what's punctuated equilibrium. What, all that is is most things stay the same all the time, and then every now and then it's punctuated. Boom. And you get a rapid evol- uh, evolution of, of something to, towards something else. He did that because he was our number one fossil expert, paleontologist in the United States. There's nothing there in the fossil record to prove slow, gradual so evolution. So a cat is still a cat, a dog is still a dog, a horse is still a horse yep. in the fossil, fossil record. Exactly. You don't have dats. 
No, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's the dating of the fossil record that, for when I was a teenager, we were. I went to church, but then I went to school. And in school, they taught me evolution. So all my friends and I are trying to figure out, well, how can we believe in creation? How can we believe in evolution? And try to have some kind of mesh. And then as I started reading in the subject, I read how they date the fossils. And uh, paleontologists will date the fossils based on what the geologists date the strata. Well, then I read that the geologists date the strata based on how the paleontologists date the fossils. That's right. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, That's circular reasoning. Circular. Exactly. So how can they base a whole system on that? Because that, now, correct me if I'm wrong, the geologic column is the Bible of evolution, right? Well, yes, for sure. That's, that's why they believe in a local flood. They can't have a global flood and then put the whole thing down over a year. That would mean there's no time for evolution to happen. So that's why, like a theistic evolutionist, they are forced to believe in a local flood. Yes. Well, welcome back to our studio and our special guest, Dr. Joe Martin, who is the founder of uh, Biblical Discipleship Ministries in Rockwall, Texas, and an expert on the issue of evolution versus creation. Uh, our uh, staff member, Nathan Jones, is helping me in my interview. And Nathan, uh, I want you to just jump right in here right now, and let's talk a little bit about the connection between creationism and uh, Bible prophecy. So Certainly. what do you got? Okay, well, as you know, I'm passionate about Bible prophecy. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be in this ministry. And I'm passionate about the creation because it seems like people attack two areas of the Bible the most. They attack the beginning of it with creation and the end of it with Jesus coming back. And in the end, they cut out two of the most important parts about God's plan for the ages, and then everything falls apart in the middle. Do you see that the spiritualizing, because that's what they usually do, they end up spiritualizing both sections, is causing just a, a terrible collapse of doctrine? Oh, I think so. There's, yes, there's no doubt about that. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, well, for instance, there's a, in the church at Laodicea, all right? Look what Jesus calls himself. I think this is a picture of the church in the last days. Yes. And uh, he says... Um, under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. He's speaking, I think, to that church, but in the last days, what, what's, what's going to be characteristic of the church? Well, the Amen. Well, this is the last church before the rapture. Okay, so that's good. The faithful and true witness. People aren't going to believe the Bible. Mm-hmm. They aren't going to teach the whole Bible. Uh, well, he says, I am the faithful and true witness. This is my word. And so, like, well, there's a big Bible church in Dallas, Texas, that right now some folks went to him. Could we have a, a course on prophecy and creation? And they were told, no, it's too divisive. It's confusing. At a Bible, a Bible church? church. <laughs> yes, a Bible church. All right. Well, what about the 11,000 pastors who signed the clergy letter project to start teaching evolution in the school system? I mean, totally abandoning the Bible. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what's the last name of Jesus? The beginning of the creation of God. He knows in the last days the church is going to depart from his word. They're going to depart from the creation. And so he calls himself those two names. I think it's fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. I've never thought about that when I read that. Yes. That's well, I, I just think it's tragic that the average church today does no teaching whatsoever on the beginnings or the end. That's right. Those are divisive. We mustn't take a stand on them, so we will just ignore them. How do you tie together what's in the middle if you don't have the beginning and the end? That's exactly right. And and we can trust it from the beginning. Matter of fact, people say, oh, yeah, that's just poetry, that Genesis. No. Uh, Hebrew poetry is the structure is subject, verb, object, like God created the heavens. Well, that's the way it sounds in English. God created the fish, whatever. But in the Hebrew, it's written verb, subject, object which means 
That is straightforward Hebrew historical narrative. And so what, what we have, it is not poetry. It's not allegory. It's not symbol. It is straightforward Hebrew narrative. God told us what he did, the order in which he did it. He expects us to believe it that way. And you know, one of the most convincing things uh, to me about that, that the fact that it's not speaking in poetry, is uh, the record of the Ten Commandments in um, uh, Exodus 20. And in verse 11 it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Well, now, Dave, you have to go back to verse 9. He's talking to people, and he says to the people, Six, six days. days thou shalt labor and yeah. do all thy work. Well, Bec- we know what those days are, right? Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. no, nobody goes out and works six billion years. Okay? So you say in verse verse 9, he's speaking literally, but then when he gets to verse 11, he's speaking figuratively. Well, that's what people say, but no. <laughs> What's he saying? He's saying, I want you to know that in a six-day week that's made of the same kind of days you work, I worked, and within that six-day week that's made up of the same kind of days you work, I made everything that I made. I made the heaven, I made the earth, I made the sea, and everything in them. So, yes, that's an excellent point. I talked to a priest once who was real concerned about the Bible. He, he spiritually spiritualized the Bible, and, of course, he wondered why no one was attending his, his <laughs> church anymore. But one of the things he said to me that always stuck to me, he says, well, there are two creation accounts in Genesis, therefore we can't take Genesis literally. Are there two creation accounts, and are they totally different? Well, no. There's one creation account. The, the Genesis chapter 1 is, is the big picture. Genesis chapter 2 pretty well focuses in on day, day 6 in the garden. And, uh, but one of the arguments they'll use is, well, God changes his name. Genesis chapter 1, consistent. Elohim, God. God did this, said this, made this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Now he changes his name to Lord God. And they would say, ah, has to be two authors, has to be two creation accounts. Why, why would he change his name after being so consistent? Different purpose, okay? In Genesis 1, God creates the universe, climaxes that creation of man. Genesis chapter 2, God takes man into marriage, okay? Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, the covenant-keeping God. He changes his name to that in Genesis 2. The covenant-keeping God is going to take man into his covenant-keeping relationship. So there's a different purpose in the use of the different name. But no, there's not two different creation accounts. There is a, there's an amplification of day six and what goes on in the garden in chapter two. Dr. Martin, it seems to me like that the bottom line in this whole debate, uh, when you get right down to particularly those uh, 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 secularists, is that they are adamantly and vigorously opposed to creationism because if there is some intelligence and if there is a God, then they are subject to him. Mm-hmm. They are responsible to him. Mm-hmm. And they do not want to be responsible to anyone but themselves. Exactly Isn't that really the bottom line in yes, this thing? It really is. And then basically that's what God says. Man, he's going to believe these things. He loves delusion. He's going to believe the lies. And yet God reveals himself to us to two primary ways through what he's made. And through his word. And one of the results, it seems to me, is something that we see very prevalent in this country today. And that is people end up worshiping the creation rather than the creator. I just got back from meeting in Los Angeles. And when I go to the west coast of the United States, I see people whose religion is mother nature. They don't worship Father God. It's mother nature. You want to do something spiritual, you stroke a salmon, you hug a tree. Uh, There are people who are sitting in trees out there to keep them from being cut down because they worship this. And isn't this the result that people worship the creation? Yes. 
Yes. Well, what's God say? Romans chapter 1. They're going to worship the creature instead of the creator. Yes. And that's what we see. Exactly. I mean, the Bible is right up to date. <laughs> In every issue, it's right up to date. Let's just know beforehand. Huh? Yes, exactly. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because in Guatemala, they just legalized nature to have human rights. So if you cut down a tree, it's equal to killing somebody. Folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope you will join us again next week when Dr. Martin will once again be our special guest. Next week, we plan to talk with Dr. Martin about the impact of DNA on the creation versus evolution debate. And I'm going to ask him to assess the impact of one of the world's leading atheists who recently announced that he has come to believe in intelligent design instead of evolution. Well, Nathan, why don't you just wrap it up with one last question? Certainly. We're a Bible prophecy ministry, and it's really hard to get pastors to want to teach Bible prophecy. You're a creation ministry. What advice or encouragement can you give pastors who are reluctant to teach on the creation? Well, first of all, you have to love these guys. I mean, they have everything coming at them from every different side, and they deal with every kind of problem. And and many of them don't have time to study on these things. But I would encourage them, if they don't have time to study up on it, invite someone like you all to come into the church and do a seminar on prophecy or, or someone like us to come in and do it on the creation evolution issue. But I think that the, the main thing is we just have to love those guys. Be, and many of them, I think, are kind of misled. The seminaries are, are misleading them. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go through seminary and come out, and, the, and they don't realize the, the spiritual impact that the, the study, the true study of prophecy and the creation, Genesis to Revelation, can have on their congregation. It, it, once they really believe, people believe, Jesus could come for me right now, it's like a motivation to godly living. Plus, there is no way that anyone can truly develop a Christian worldview without an understanding of how it all began and why we're here. It's, I mean, the purpose of why we're here, why we exist, it all goes back to Genesis. And, and it's got to be taught. Exactly. Exactly. So you say, well, why isn't it taught? Well, I think fear, fear. And there's a way that seems right to a man, but at the end thereof are the ways of death, Proverbs 14, 12. Uh, evolution, for instance, robs God of his glory. He says, I won't share my glory, Isaiah 48, 11. So mm-hmm. they're, they're, we, we pull back from teaching things that maybe are a little bit divisive. But Jesus wasn't worried about that, was he? He, no. I mean, he came right in no, and said, here's no. the truth, and it was divisive. Dr. Martin, we're going to have to bring the cro- program to a close, so why don't you tell the viewers very quickly how they can get in touch with your ministry? Well, to get in touch with our ministry, probably the best way is by going to, we have two web pages. One is uh, World Wide Web, biblicaldiscipleship.org. The other one is uh, evolutionofacreationist.com. Okay, great. And then one final thing. Would you just look into that camera and uh, tell anyone who's watching who's never accepted Jesus what you would encourage them to do? Well, I would encourage you, first of all, to realize that the Bible says Jesus is the Creator. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. If Jesus is the Creator, and then, then He has the right and the authority to be your Savior, to be your Redeemer. And He says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But He also says to us that it's not His wish or His will that anyone should perish. And He says He commands, He, he, he demonstrates His love toward us in the while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't have to work up some kind of worthiness. He says, I'll take you right like you are. So we have to humble ourselves and say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I, I'm a sinner. You know it. I know it. 
I'm, 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 I'm receiving you as my Savior. Would you please forgive me of my sin? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he, that he gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have, have everlasting life. Put your belief in Him. He is your faithful Creator and your faithful Redeemer. Thank you, Dr. Martin. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate the fact that you've agreed to come back and be with us again next week. Well, folks, that's it for this week. Till next week, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 